Hi, and welcome to On Course, the podcast from Echoing Green that explores social entrepreneurship and the pieces of people's lives that they tend to leave out of their bios. Echoing Green is a premier global investor in new leaders who are boldly working to change the world, providing fellowships, community, seed stage funding, and strategic support at that critical stage where they're just trying to get off the ground. My name is Eric Dawson. I'm a father, husband, social entrepreneur, storyteller, and I have the distinct honor of serving as a chaplain for Equine Green. I, along with my colleagues, support fellows on their spiritual and emotional well-being as they mediate between who they often feel they need to be publicly with how they often feel privately. I'm a fraud, I'm not good enough, I don't know what I'm doing. On Course is about the journey that these leaders take from the moment they decide to act, to create, to change. In today's episode, I'm talking to Brittany Young, founder and CEO of B360. Based in Baltimore, Maryland, B360 utilizes STEM education programming, community engagement, workforce development training, and dirt bike culture to end the cycle of poverty, disrupt the prison pipeline, and build bridges in communities. B360 is equipping youth and adults with the skills to secure educational and career opportunities in STEM fields, motorsports, and beyond, while changing the perception of dirt bike riders and engineers and repairing and building relationships in the Baltimore community. Brittany Young, entrepreneur, scientist, mover and shaker in the world, dirt bikes. Let's start with dirt bikes. So tell me about your love affair with dirt bikes. When did it start? How did it start? I think it's really my love affair with Baltimore because dirt bikes in Baltimore, like dirt bikes are as much a part of Baltimore's cultures, like snowballs, um, crabs, Old Bay. And so like my love affair just started with me being born and raised in the city. So when I was growing up, my friends, my uncle used to go to Druid Hill Park to watch the riders. Um, it was every Sunday. So think of like a cookout, but then with a hundred something people and then people doing tricks and stunts, like zipping past you as like an 11-year-old, a 10-year-old. And so just always being naturally fascinated by the riders. Um, growing up, a lot of kids, me included, wanted to be like the next big dirt bike rider. My problem was I don't have balance. And I fell a lot. And that just mm -hmm. wasn't for me. But I've always been an enthusiast. Um, and when I think back about like my summers and my childhood, I smell the gasoline. I can hear the sound of the riders, that mat, mat noise. And so dirt bikes for me, the love affair, just really thinking about my upbringing as a youth in a city and being a black Baltimorean that is a part of who I am and my identity. So walk us through your story. Right. So you didn't, as a 15 year old, say, I'm going to use STEM and dirt biking and changing the world. So how did you get from that, 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 that summer um, with, 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 with the gasoline and the noise and the family and the community to starting the organization? What, what were the steps that led you from, from there to there? That's a great question. Um, the first is really just remembering little Brittany. So as early as like first grade, I wanted to be, in addition to a dirt bike rider, Bill, not a science guy. And I wanted it to be like Bill because of the explosions, um, all of the crazy stuff that he did. And I got in trouble a lot. And that's what resonates with me the most is 
Brittany got this way because I'm not afraid to get in trouble. And little Brittany allows me to be the person I am now. And then I went on to college um, and I did not see representation of myself in this space. I had a lot of teachers pre-college also telling me it wasn't a, an attainable career field for people who look like me. And when I first went to my position um, in engineering in STEM, I was confused for the admin assistant. And so that made me angry. And I kind of carried that anger into starting programs and wanting to get more students from Baltimore City who look like me directly into STEM. And so pre B360, I was already creating like programming. So getting people from community college to NASA, um, starting robotics leagues and camps. But then the big spark, the big fire was lit with the Freddie Gray uprising as the world watched Baltimore burn. That's also when my heart burned and exploded too. And I was fed up and tired. I saw two distinct reports, one showing that Baltimore has over 120,000 STEM careers that can move communities out of poverty as a way of moving the city forward, but not an action plan of attracting students like me who can't see themselves in the field. And then the other reporting showed we need more more policing in communities. And I was definitely against that part because that same year, my youngest brother, who at the time was 16, was incarcerated and tried as an adult. So I really wanted the city to think about programmatic solutions for nonviolent offenses, how we can put real people in action in STEM careers and professions, but also to keep showing how beautiful, how genius, how innately talented Baltimore people are, because we don't always hear that side of the story. And what stuck out to me the most was when they created a dirt bike police task force, I just kept asking, where was the programming? Where was the alternative? And instead of keep asking, the angry person in me who's not afraid to get in trouble, I just created the program myself. And so I was in Baltimore Corps Elevation Awards. I was in a social innovation lab at the same time um, while teaching, working in engineering and also working at a community college because I really believed in my city and I believed in the brilliance that was there. And I just really took off by talking to students, then riders, then the police commissioner, um, then launched with a public forum and then finally launched with our programming. And that's kind of how B360 got started. Just an idea that I wasn't listening to people tell me no, because I had the support of the people that were closest to the problem, which was students and riders about a real solution. And once I got that help, that was the ammunition I needed to love the work that I do because their voices were uplifted and heard. And I wanted to help be a part of a change, not only for myself, but for them, because we're one and the same people. We're all Black from Baltimore who have a cultural relevance that needs to be heard and expressed and who need people to directly invest into making sure we grow to the next level. Talk to me about your students. Who are they? What are their stories? What do they love? What drives them crazy? Hmm. My students and me. That's what's funny. I think um, they really are little Britney. So people who have like skill sets, a lot of them have been riding bikes since they were like five and six, who know everything from the inside to the outside about a dirt bike, the pistons, the gears, the different type of tires. I've learned so much about dirt bikes. I don't think I'm supposed to know um, just from listening to them. And I remember our first meeting, 
I asked them, what do they like to do? I already knew it was dirt bikes. And I was like, well, what do you want to do in the future? And the class paused. I was the first teacher to ask them what they like to do. And they were already in fifth grade and sixth grade at the time. And for me, that was like nostalgic again, because that's similar to what happened to me in elementary school. I didn't have a teacher that asked me what I like to do until third grade and who really took the time to invest in me. Her name was Miss Taylor. So innately, I became Miss Taylor to them because I know what it feels like to not see yourself in like school, to be really smart and always lash out because you're bored. And that's really what my students were. We're just bored and really want someone to listen. So some of like the good stories, I'll start there. Um they have presented at Hopkins with me. They won pitch competitions. So right before my um, my final Equine Green interview, I had just came from Baltimore because we were on stage at Light City and I had two students present with me. So at the time when they were in seventh grade and won a pitch competition, um, they've been now across the country. So to Texas, to Oakland, Atlanta, to really show people their style of riding. And what I always make sure that they understand is that it's a privilege to get to know them, not the opposite. And so making sure that regardless of where we go, People receive them how they're supposed to. Um, and I'm most proud of how they've grown their voices. So they're not afraid to talk about, yes, they ride dirt bikes. Yes, they want to go into these career fields. But at the same time, they acknowledge that they're kids. And what I appreciate is seeing them be free, being that element. Um, when they're on the bikes or we're doing activities, what I like is that that's an isolated space where they don't have to think about anything. And so like some highlights are just most recently they've been in a campaign with HBO around why I ride. So think about being in a campaign with HBO is now 14 year olds and seeing like their own star power and their own voices and like the growth and potential. And then I think about Mike. So Mike, I met him when he was 17. Somehow Mike decided to trust me, which was good. When I met him, he was graduating from high school he did not know what he wanted to do yet, which is typical. He knew that he loved everything about dirt bikes and had been riding since he was six and seven and also had a lot of interaction with the police. Um, and he reminded me of my little brother. And for me, I didn't plan on having another brother, but Mike has grown into like my brother slash my son. And I think what represents, you know, who my own brother could have been if given an opportunity. So Mike has worked and done production with Red Bull. He's also been a lead instructor. Pre-COVID, he was on the track to be a manager of B360. Um, and what I'm most proud for him is, again, finally him being able to tell his authentic story of, yes, he rides dirt bikes. Yes, he's been to jail before. But most importantly, Look at who he is now. He's the person that's helped us teach over 7,000 students. He's the person that's helped us train more than 36 dirt bike riders. And I think those stories are the ones that people need to think about the most when they think about Baltimore and when they think about dirt bike riders is that they're regular people who need help and support, 
who were already brilliant that just needed a leveled uplift and who really want to make sure that they can see their future generations have safe spaces, opportunities. And the only way of moving forward is by working directly with the people close to the problem. And that looks like Mike and that looks like Deron. That looks Kamaya, who's a little girl who's been riding since she was four. Um, Tony and Damon of kids from Baltimore that are going to make it well beyond me and well past me. And my only job is to just be that catalyst to help them get there. I just want to say, I, I love this idea that, you know, as we think about, about funders and media, this idea that they should be lucky enough to get to work with your students. Um, so talk to us about the program itself. So I'm a young person in Baltimore what does B360 mean to me? What's the experience like? Hmm. Um, I think the what it means to like young, old, anyone is probably freedom and a different take on an age old problem of not just really about STEM, but about, yes, you can ride a dirt bike and we don't frown upon it. We just say how you can do it better. And us also acknowledging like just how smart people are. I think before me and a lot of times like education or like philanthropy, the idea is that people need to be saved. And I think what makes us very unique is that we're showing people that they are assets and the only way of making these solutions is with them. And so the way that we even talk about the program and the way we talk about the people is never from a deficit. It's always to make sure we elevate them. And so in our program, if you're under 16, you're in the program. If you're over 16, we hire you and train you to work with the younger kids. And so you learn everything about the engineering design process. So cognitive reasoning skills about how to build, code, design, and 3D print a model-sized dirt bike. So think of a dirt bike that fits in the palm of your hand. And it connects to your phone to pop willies, do tricks and do stunts. And the reason why I wanted that part to be so crucial is because the way that engineering is taught typically is that you just read about the theory. But if you practice the theory, you can see how it actually uh, goes together and it's fun. And then the second half of programming is people fix and repair dirt bikes. And that part causes me the most challenges because in Baltimore is can be a misdemeanor to possess a dirt bike. So technically the work that we do is legal, but um, we've maintained great relationships. And I don't think people are like scared of kids fixing bikes, hopefully. And even if they do. Not my problem. Um, but that part to me is very special too because they can repair bikes to sell for a profit with older riders, also create um, events for the style of riding. So at the end, they do a showcase. We did our first one in Baltimore last summer. So think about 12 people who were in an enclosed um an enclosed parking lot supported by Red Bull during a festival and people came out to watch. And the bikes that they rode, they repaired themselves. And previously they had done like the robotics programming. And so what I think it really represents against like people, parents, the community is showing how smart, again, the brilliance we already have that people never want to tap into. And what people always call innovation, which is a term I only recently heard since being in this space, is really that survival technique. Um, most recently, I got uh, pinged on Facebook by a group of students that parents filmed them 
like fixing their own dirt bikes and said, can you bring B360 to our community? Right. Because people were already doing this. I imagine there's a, a tension in your program uh, around the writing itself, right? The, the sense of freedom and creativity and also safety and legality. How do you balance that? Um, first acknowledging that yes, dirt bike riding, just like any sport can be dangerous. And that's why you put things in place. So all of our students, if you're under 18, you wear a helmet, period, point blank. People over 18 also wear helmets as well to like show the younger generation that is, that is possible. Um, we make sure the helmets that they get are like, they can customize them because a lot of times helmets are more expensive for like motocross and dirt bike riding, but also are not conducive for like our style of riding. So we try to make them as like fashionable, as cool as possible. Um, educating people on the law and policies. A lot of people, probably more than 90% of Baltimore does not know that in the city, it can be a misdemeanor to own a dirt bike, to ride on public property and or to ride on private property. So making sure that parents before they purchase a bike know about your bike can get confiscated. You will lose out on money. Um, and then the next piece is really putting into practice things. So none of our students and people who are in our program ride in traffic. That's a very strict statement. And we advocate for those who don't ride in traffic. So this means we don't have a problem with pop, pop willies. We just create the space to do it. That means we can take over a school gym, a field, a street by blocking it off, a parking lot, travel to different cities where they have spaces. Um, but it's really about just reteaching people on how to how to use it and when to use it. Um, but also acknowledging the elephant in the room that there is nothing wrong with popping a willie. People get paid in X Games and all of these big events to do it. Um, there is nothing wrong with riding a dirt bike. It is a sport and a creative release. Our only pain point is just making sure people know how we can make this more safe. And we do so by teaching them to not ride in traffic. My name is Eric Dawson, and this is On Course. I'm speaking with Brittany Young, founder and CEO of B360. We'll be back with more after a short break. On Course is produced by Echoing Green. For more than 30 years, Echoing Green has been on the front lines of solving the world's biggest problems. We find emerging leaders with the best ideas for social innovation as early as possible and set them on a path to lifelong impact. Our community of almost 1,000 social innovators includes past fellows like First Lady Michelle Obama, major public figures like Van Jones, and the founders of organizations like Teach for America and One Acre Fund. Built and refined over 30 years, our process discovers tomorrow's leaders today. Join us as we support a new generation of social impact leaders. Learn more at echoinggreen.org. Welcome back. I'm Eric Dawson, and this is On Course, the podcast from Echoing Green. Today, I'm speaking with Brittany Young, founder and CEO of B360. One of the things, Brittany, that I think is so powerful about your model, it is that it is embodied, right? It is, it is, it is coming together and it is, it is located in a place, a culture, a community. How do you navigate those strengths in a pandemic where all of those embodied experiences can't happen? That is a great question. I'm still figuring that out. 
Um, so we've been doing really well with like virtual. So we started some virtual series. We actually have done in-person programming too, because we have such a large request. So we just made our like classroom sizes smaller. Next week, we're starting with a class that will be 10 students with two dirt bike riders um, teaching it. Um, and then again, since r- riding dirt bikes is outside, when we don't have rain, uh, we still do the like the parking lot ac- activities. We still do the safe space riding. Um, so we've pivoted to just smaller models. Um, the biggest challenge has been the decrease in our budget. Because we have maintained on fee-for-service programming. So in 2019, I worked really hard to secure about $435,000 in just contracts alone. um, Because we've never seen grants that have been larger than 15K. um, Outside of like, you know, Echo and Green and fellowships to support programming. And I don't know if people know this about me. My name on Instagram is Kate Not Be Hustle for a reason because I've always known how to figure out how to get the money as well as like solve the problems. And so 2019 was supposed to be, you know, the year for 2020 where we got stable. And with COVID, that's been probably most difficult is we can't hire Mike full time as the manager because we don't have the budget. I am not full-time because we don't have the budget. Um, We can't do as much programming because we don't have the budget. And so just really trying to work to get people to support us, being in philanthropy now and hating how that system works because I've never relied on it has been a challenge. So really wanting people to give to the organization for us to find donors and sponsors that can keep, you know, the work that we're doing alive being in the middle of election season two on top of a global pandemic. So really wanting to work with like the government on solutions that if you can police the problem, you can easily give the B360 because we have the same outcome. So that's how we probably like navigated COVID slash an uprising slash an election season slash philanthropy. Let's spend a moment on philanthropy. I imagine there are a lot of people listening who are nodding their heads when you talk about the frustration of getting resources. Why do you think that is? And if you could wave your magic wand and and change the world of philanthropy, what would you do? Um, I think philanthropy has been a problem. I mean, it can be the same thing in VC funding. So we are hybrid. We have a nonprofit STEM programming and then for-profit entity of like services consulting and whatever products we'll put out. Um, and it's a challenge on both ends because philanthropy or VC, same thing, fundraising is white male dominated, um, which has racial biases where people naturally don't trust black people and then don't trust black women on top of it. That, yes, we can have thriving businesses. Yes, I can be in every news media outlet article. I don't know how many more awards I can win. Um and how many like spotlight opportunities until that still does not translate into funding? Because I think for so long, the the way that people have thought about fundraising and philanthropy has been you give the things you understand. And I know for us, a lot of people who are not, you know, black or brown or who have no experiences with dirt bikes either only know about what they read in the media. And if you don't read stuff about B360, you assume that dirt bike riders carry guns, sell drugs, etc. And so that's how people think anyway about black and brown bodies is that we're people that need to be controlled. And so I think philanthropy has 
a hard lens of needing to reshape itself to not need to understand why something works, but just accept that it does and to put resources to it. I think challenges in philanthropy are also people typically give to a foundation and then foundations are supposed to give to the people. But we know that causes problems because foundations also don't have a wide enough net or deep enough net. And again, the notion is that I'm not trusted enough, not directly me, but you have biases against people who look like me where you don't want to give. Um, but I think hopefully philanthropy can keep changing. I hope with these recent uprisings, which is also tough to say, um, people realize that black leadership, we just need investment. We don't need people telling us what to do. Um, but I'm not also, it's tough for me to say that because I also don't want more people to die just for people to realize that you need to support us. Right. So it's a, it's an interesting space where people have rushed to emergency situations. We saw all of the companies, corporations, foundations, anyone you can think about rushing to COVID relief when it first started. But the racial uprisings that have happened and trickled in this country for over a hundred plus years, we have never made that emergency situation. Um, so I'm just I'm just curious to see how how the water and the color of the water will keep changing and how philanthropy will kind of just cast a wider and deeper net to think beyond its assumptions and to realize that the solutions to any problem that exists are already happening in communities where people are not getting investment. And that's why we don't get to grow to a large scale. Um, and when I think about white led organizations, I think the frustration I have sometimes is I know that the work that we're doing and a lot of my colleagues are doing is 10 times more impactful. We've probably served more students and done bigger outreach, but the access problem we have is what holds us back in our organizations. And I'm not sure of how many white led organizations can say that they at the stage that we are, are still not on payroll as a founder. And I think that's a part of some of the issues is because as black people, you know, we have to solve the challenges in our community. At the yeah. end of the day, I'm always going to be black from Baltimore. And so I don't have a choice but to make my solution work. Um, that also puts the burden on me that sometimes I'm not seen as a person that needs payment or we don't need investment because we just have to keep doing the hard work. I want to dig into something that you said um, that I think is really important that this idea that uh, philanthropists want to fund things that they understand. And I think connected to that is that philanthropists want to fund people who look like them. Mm. And, you know, someone listening right now, um, again, is, is nodding her head and saying, um, like you, Brittany, I've often been the only one in a room get the message that, that I don't belong, that I'm not, I'm not, I'm not worthy. What message do you have for those entrepreneurs of color, uh, those women of color led organizations? What advice do you have? Um, the advice is to really get your tribe and get your foundation. So like I said, the reason why I think I've been successful is because I always hold on to little Britney and I failed previously before starting B360. And I've again, I've always just been a black woman. So I knew all the challenges, the obstacles I would confront. Um, but the real like power that I have too is that I did not seek validation of people who are not representative of the people I choose to serve. So I didn't go to philanthropy saying, hey, 
accept me, put me at the table, make a table for me. I first went to my own community and made sure they, um, you know, they recharge and refilled me. And that love that I have comes from them because I know with so many people that support the work we do, not even just depending on the work that we do, but really want to see us win. So like the students we work with, the rides we work with, and the people that support, I would say always lean on those people. And not really like you don't need validation to do your work. Of course, we need investment, but your validation comes from who you serve. And as long as my kids are always smiling, as long as people feel connected to our work, we could never get another dollar or another cent, which would be difficult. But I know that the work we're doing is impactful and meaningful. Um, and then I just always hone back into who I am, where I'm not afraid to challenge people and I'm not afraid to stand on my own. Um, and where spaces that don't have people who look like me, that's a problem. So I always make sure, too, I bring more people along who do and or create my own space because I'm not I'm not interested in conforming. And I can see that too in like the motorsports field. So motorsports, motocross is really white male dominated. And we're not saying, hey, kids, go ride on dirt and be like them. We're saying we want the same equal investment to do our style of riding on asphalt. And so that's my advice to people, um, black, brown women, is really rest on your own ingenuity, that you're smart. Rest on the community and tribe that you built and to make sure at the forefront of everything you do, they support you because they are the people that are going to constantly refill you and recharge you. Like we get bombarded with the most racist comments. Um, and I don't even, I can laugh at those because I know how supported I am and how supported B360 is to this day. I think there's a tension in social change circles about focusing on the systemic problems versus the immediate problems. How do you balance that in your own work and think about that? <laughs> um, I think when I first started B360, I already knew it was a systemic issue. Um, and that was probably my problem is I'm naturally a, a big thinker. I'm a master builder. That's one of my power numbers. I'm in numerology. Um, so I saw like where I wanted B360 to be as the final result. And I knew that the challenges that I was against were systemic, which is based in racism. That the reason why people have a problem with dirt bike riders is yes, a part of it can be dangerous, but two is how we view black people, black men and boys. Um, and so I had to be in programs like Echo and Green and different cohorts to make sure that even though I cast my big vision of systems change, I was also getting like the business structure and the acumen to think about the smaller things that lead up to that. So like the logic model, you know, and I did my logic model in 2016, you know, really big picture, but also really small for each year of what I wanted to hit in my targets because I wanted to make sure like my vision is big, but in order to get there, I have to pace myself. And so my balance has been, always keeping my mind of where I want to go, but making sure, you know, daily, weekly, yearly, we're hitting certain targets and goals because it can be easy to get wrapped up in just the big system, but you also have to do action now. And I think again, with COVID, that kind of helped in a way of making sure I stayed in like our focus lane and our zone of genius to make sure I was still pressing hard of 
what I needed to do to still meet the goals, even without the budget, even in the middle of a pandemic with all that's happening. That was Brittany Young, founder and CEO of B360. We'll be back with more after a short break. On Course is presented as part of the Inclusive Leadership Initiative. With support from the City Foundation, Echoing Green launched the Inclusive Leadership Initiative to expand its support of leaders that represent and work with communities of color. Together, Echoing Green and the City Foundation are supporting the next generation of leaders who are helping create economic and social opportunities for young women and men of color across the United States. Welcome back. I'm Eric Dawson, and this is On Course, the podcast from Echoing Green. I'm speaking with Brittany Young, founder and CEO of B360. One of the challenges that a lot of social entrepreneurs face is funding comes in silos, but programming is done holistically, right? So as I listen to, to your, your description of, of, of B360, it's a STEM program, it's a racial justice program, it's a community development program, it's a youth development program, it's a youth employment program, it's an entrepreneurship program, it's an arts program, it's a sports program. How do you help people see the fullness of your work in a way they can understand? Um, I think I'm still challenged in that way because it's what you're saying. People love to categorize as a STEM program, which is a part of what we do. Um, so it's just really taking, it depends on the audience for one and taking the nuggets that will resonate. So usually people are attracted to us because they know about our STEM program. And then I'll explain how the STEM program pay, plays into like the larger system that we're attracting youth and young adults so we can deter them from street riding. And the way of doing it is, you know, enticing them to still ride safely with us, but giving them transferable skills. And then the next level is, now that they have those transferable skills and they don't ride in traffic, we do events. And with events that gets into like monetizing their time, providing revenue for cities, and also getting a play into that $32 billion motorsports industry. And so cities here, money. If people in events here, money. Um, riders here, money and their style of riding being displayed. And then the next level for us is really around policy and reform because people always talk about a space. Yes, we want to own a space. We don't want the city to do it. But the policy that we have in cities is where that comes into a part is if cities want streets to be safer, if you want riders to get out of traffic, that means you need to work with us, but to have better like policy and reform things. And so I think it's just really how we reel people in has been through our STEM program. And then once they talk to me, see the vision, you see how those things differently into play and you can pick which one of those three systems that you want to buy into, because if you buy into one, you also kind of buy into all of them. Um, it's just really the biggest challenge has been making sure people understand the STEM program stuff um, to make sure they understand the new narrative about dirt bike riders we're carving out. And again, people won't always understand my vision. That's fine. But understanding the impact that we've had, um, where we're planning to go and how like their donation or their support can lead to not just B360 being successful, but a city being successful, an individual, better police and community relations. And so just the way we speak and to whom we speak has been a vital part of relationship building, asset mapping, and reeling people in for the big picture, 
even when they can't understand all the layers, and I don't expect that because people don't think like how I do, but they can understand one of those three buckets around safety for cities, education, and or events that drive cities' revenue. And somewhere people will grab onto something. So a movie just came out, Charm City Kings. It is about your young people, about the city of Baltimore. What was the experience like of, of that movie coming out? Um, I think the movie, so what I appreciated about it was it provided short-term job opportunities to people. Um, it was filmed in Baltimore for about four months and a lot of like writers got to be featured. Um, what has been the hard part about that movie has been the stereotypical portrayal of dirtbag riders being criminals, drug dealers. Since that movie has come out, we've received also a lot of like negative comments, um, a lot of stuff I can't say in this podcast of people's misconceptions and preconceived notions. And my only issue with that film has been the role of the city. So for me in Baltimore is a daily challenge of me trying to convince Baltimore of why they need to invest in us to get a safe space. And so if you can film for four months in the heart of West Baltimore, that also shows if you built a space, people will come. Um, and so it's kind of, it's been a challenge um, mentally for me to understand how a city that demonizes dirt bike riders and does not like them in streets allows a movie to be filmed because there is a surge in dirt bike riders, young and old. They still do not have a space to go to. We still do not have investment in programming. And I wish that people thought more about the proactive solutions that can avoid those types of situation scenarios. Um, because it's kind of a slap in the face being from here of being, of seeing the same monolithic story about black Baltimore struggles of seeing people make money from a portrayal of riders who don't benefit the riding culture and still being left at wondering what do the riders get after this movie? And so far it's been nothing but, increased policing and more people riding and more turmoil. What's the future for you? What's the future for B360? The future, <laughs> once we get money, is to have a permanent facility in Baltimore and then in every major city where there's riders, where we own a space, not the city's own the space, but in partnership, um, where people are taking classes on how to build, repair, fix dirt bikes. Um, people are bringing in their cars, their bicycles. So think of an auto body shop in the same facility slash campus. We're manufacturing dirt bikes in the same space. So taking the ones that are confiscated by the city um, using them for programming with our youth and young adults and then those same youth and young adults are selling those dirt bikes as we keep manufacturing more um, us owning the motorsports industry in this way by doing events indoor and outdoor events and really if you think about like yeah a college campus for dirt bikes that is what I envision the future of B360 a one-stop shop where we're making the helmets we're making the equipment we're making the dirt bikes. We're doing the programming. We're expanding minds. We're hosting events with cities. Um, ESPN features our facilities on the big jumbotron. We're doing events that are interconnected between different cities as competitions and really just showing like, again, that brilliance, that talent, um, the fun, the thrill um, in a controlled safe space. That's more than just about riding is about how we gain an equitable power and 
systems change in this one big facility. I love it. And and so if folks want to learn more about the work, how can they? They can go to B360Baltimore.org and or on Facebook at B360Baltimore. That's my PBS voice. It's good. You should do podcasts. No, thank you. <laughs> I'll leave that to you. <laughs> so, Brittany, I'm, I'm going to end with uh, with my fast five, five, five quick questions, um, a phrase or sentence answer for each. You have a free Saturday afternoon. How do you spend it? Sleeping. Oh, that was my whole answer. <laughs> yeah. If I have a free Saturday afternoon, I'm going to sleep. I value uh, sleep and rest. I do not believe you have to do a lot of stuff. So I'm sleeping. When you run for mayor of Baltimore, what's your slogan? I am not running for mayor of Baltimore (laughs) or in politics at all. I'm actually supporting, um, this is a long answer, sorry. I'm supporting, hopefully, the presumptive mayor's transition team. Um, So my slogan from from Shirley Chisholm, I'm going to borrow it, is unbossed and unbought because... That's me, and I resonate a lot with her. Let's say you take over the Gates Foundation and have billions of dollars to give away. What's the first thing you would do? That's a that's a hard question. Um, billions of dollars to give away. I guess the first thing I would do is buy Baltimore. When I say buy it, that means like directly like invest in infrastructure, not do philanthropy not do foundations but to the people and literally like buy up parts of the city so that i can own it and then make sure that people can stay in their homes um and then make sure that you know we have those spaces for b360 and think about the business side of having a billion dollars if you could have any song play when you walked into the room what would it be it's by stevie wonder if you could sit down with little Brittany, what's one piece of advice you'd give her? Mm, that is okay to not be okay. I don't think people ever told me that in my life. Um, I'm the oldest of four. I've always been the independent person that you see today, which is because I've experienced a lot. Um, and when my mom passed specifically, I was like 18, my second week of college, and I didn't know what depression was or grief, or I never had someone tell me that like you can just sit down and not, can I, can I curse? Not give a fuck. You know, I think that's an important skill set for black girls is you can just sit the fuck down and you don't have to save the world and you don't have to be responsible and it's okay to let people handle stuff and you don't have to take on the world's burdens. I feel like a lot of little Brittany, still this Brittany, is, um, you know, the, the brainchild of like my ancestors who have fought and struggled their whole life. And I still carry that with me. And that is a part of the errors and the problems in the system is that I always feel compelled to take on all the struggles and challenges. And I hate it. And I want more people to just live in like luxury and do nothing and to not be okay. Brittany, I want to end by saying thank you uh, for your time, for your wisdom. You know, as you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking about the late John Lewis and his, uh, his exhortation towards good trouble mm. and, and the power of what you do of, of, of bringing together disparate ideas 
right? This idea that, that anger is power, this idea that we need to shift stories, right? That, that, that dirt bikes aren't hoodlums, they're athletes, they're creators. This idea that the world doesn't have to be as it is. The way that you make people see you and therefore help others to be seen. It's a gift. We need more of it. And we need to get you a million dollars. So whoever's listening, that's your homework. Two million. Two million. Yeah, a million is lowballing, right? Two. That's what I mean. See, people, oh, oh, we gotta, yeah, we got to stop lowballing. People get a million dollars every day. Not me, but I need two. That's right. Ten. Fifteen. I, in my interview, I told Echo and Green that there's a million Britney Youngs, right? I don't think I'm actually special. Um, I think what is unique is, you know, like you said, how I make people listen to me, because that's a part of me being a bully also. That still resonates with me as little Britney. But I think my story and who I am and how many people are just like me is a lot of us. It's just really making sure we get you know, closer to those people and like the voices resonate. And that was my one thing back on green. I said, I wanted to help with. So I'm, you know, I'm excited. I feel like people, you know, who know me now know about Echo and green, which is good, but also I'm regular. Uh, curse, uh, have a temper head, head, H A D past tense. Um, and I think that's what also resonates with people. I'm not like perfect. Praise God. And I appreciate that by the way. Also, to learn more about Echoing Green, go to echoinggreen.org. And don't miss any of our episodes. Subscribe where you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a rating so other listeners can find us. I'm Eric Dawson. Stay on course. Stay on course.